Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Novellas are intriguing inclusions in the world of writing. They are more than a short story, but less than a novel. Even more intriguing is when they come as a collection, which is what Nick Earls has done in Wisdom Tree, a compilation of five novellas. So, Nick, welcome back to 3CR. Thank you. It's great to be back here. Novellas? What prompted novellas? Yes, the word novellas is usually followed by a question mark. Um, but uh, but I think this is, its, this is its time. What prompted them? The first thing that prompted them was I realised a few years ago when I was thinking about what I was going to write next, if I looked at the little piles of ideas that I had, the most compelling ones were all sort of destined to be about the 20,000 word mark. And I, I was really keen to write them. How do you know it's 20,000 ideas, 20,000 ideas, 20,000 words um, when you have an idea? Um, from having written 20 books in the preceding 20 years. That really helps. I've got a, got a much clearer idea now than I once had of, of the kind of legs an idea will have. And with each of these, I thought I could, I could cut them down into short stories. There are some that would work in bits. But we would really miss the depth of them if I did that. And I also thought... I could take one and pad it into a novel, but it would be padding. Uh, And what I need to do if I'm going to write them is I need to write them as novellas. And then I thought, why is the publishing industry so uncomfortable about novellas? And the main reason, I think, is that the novella, to, to make a paper novella, which in the 20th century was the only option, costs almost as much as it would to make a, a compact paper novel. And so then you've got this small book and this medium-sized book next to each other for often the same price. And there's this sort of fear that people buy books by the kilo. And I don't know if they do. We don't love books by the kilo. You don't go, I love Breakfast at Tiffany's because it was so small, or I loved War and Peace because it was so big. There are things that you actually love there. But I think I also think beyond that, the landscape has changed. Gatsby bought books by the, the bulk load to put in his library. That was how he did That's it. it. And you've got that guest at the party who is there, uh, who is there pulling the books off the shelf, realising they're actually real books yes. and, and not a front. And, and yet, and then The Great Gatsby itself is a very compact book, about yeah. 45,000 words, that now, because it's uh, a legendary book, is beefed up by an enormous introduction and uh, looks the same size as lots of novels. But, Nick, you're saying this while sitting next to your publisher, Donna, mm-hmm. from Inkerman and Blunt. So what got Inkerman and Blunt in on this little project? Oh, Nick Earls. <laughs> of course. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, an, or, an author's reputation <coughs> would yes. have a lot to do with it. But I... I'm very intrigued in interesting publishing projects. I'm not, um, you know, so taken by what everyone else is doing. I really like an adventure. And uh, so it wasn't so much that it was Nick Earls as, as the fact that in the, his email to me, he said, oh, maybe a, a, with a whole lot of other options for this project, he said, what about five standalone novellas? And that that was the sentence that got me in. I'm Which afraid. is what I really wanted to do. And that's the mm. kind of thing that would... I needed to put the other things in there so that you wouldn't be 
turned off yes. when reading the email when you got to that sentence. <laughs> yes, um, right. But because uh, the, 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 the typical way of publishing work of this length would be if there were five of them, put them together in one big book, mm. of course. Um, and I wanted each one to have its own time and its own space. And you've staggered the release. That's right. So, uh, and that, I wanted there to be a chance for people to have a break from finishing one and starting the next that was more than a page turn. Uh, I have had complaints since May that that a a month is a lot more than a page turn, but as of now, they're all out. So people can binge read if they so choose, but they'll know that they're reading five individual things that fit together in an interesting way. And what I wanted to do was when I realized I really wanted to write these, I thought the the paper printing rules of economy don't apply to ebooks they don't apply to audiobooks and they they're both bigger things in this century but it's also a time when we can we can make very nice compact paper books and that was one of the things that drew me to Inkerman and Blunt in the first place was two years ago before Byron Bay Writers Festival I was touring with a number of other writers in the lead up to that and one of them was Angela Meyer and she just brought out a book called Captives which was the second Inkerman and Blunt book yes and it was a a compact book of micro fictions and I looked at that and I thought I want what she's having um so I asked her to put me in touch with Donna and It was two years ago at Melbourne Writers Festival that, that we, we spoke yeah. and, uh, and, and on things went from there. Mm. And I realized that in my own life, much as I love reading, there are so many kind of inputs into my life now that I find myself distracted from novels unless I'm on holidays. And there are lots of people I know who are like that. And here is something that's movie length that goes deep, but you don't lose the thread of it over two or three weeks of interrupted life. Well, this is the interesting thing. I found myself needing to read the whole story in one Mm. sitting rather than when you approach a novel. Yes. You you tend to put it down. Because you know you're not going to be able to read it in one sitting. So Mm. that's how you approach a novel. Whereas these, if you've got a couple of hours or so, you can read the whole thing. But it's not five or ten minutes either. It is that... It, it's, it's sustained yeah. reading. Well, this is what got me. I mean, there are five stories. Gotham, Venice, Vancouver, Junot. Is that how... Juno? Juno. So he was, his name was French. He was French-Canadian. Yes. But yes, so, Juneau. you know, it's the capital of Alaska. So Juno, Juno, And Noho are the five stories. The first one, Gotham... I read it after I'd read the morning paper on Saturday, which uh, you had extended... Uh, articles in the, mm. in the morning paper, and here we have a uh, journalist, and it was almost like an extended journalistic uh, investigation with more, with all of the personal yes. details as well. And uh, I found that story fascinating. Tell us about Nasty Boy. Yeah, it started with him really. I. I'd read quite a bit about rappers and found the kind of phenomenology around rappers fascinating, how you have someone from a very challenging background who who starts, you know, busting a few rhymes to sound like an old person. And, uh, and then they post something on YouTube and Jay-Z sees it and they get a break and then suddenly they get, they, they're famous. and Not just famous, but um, disgustingly wealthy. Yes. And so this can all come in a rush and everyone wanting to meet their every need. And I thought, that's a really interesting character. And I then thought, how do I get into the head of that character? How can I write like a 19-year-old African-American from Brooklyn who's had this very difficult background? And I thought, that is a very difficult thing for me. Maybe I could get there 
but it, a huge thing. I thought, actually, maybe it would be more interesting if I don't quite get there, if I come up with the 40-year-old Australian rock journalist who has to interview him and doesn't get the access all areas passed to that brain. Well, this is uh, part of the challenge that um, people of my generation have is understanding that whole culture. Mm. Um, I mean, one of the things I love, first and foremost... Uh, the spelling of nasty boy N A dollar sign S T I B O I. Yes, I came up with that on a run. Just in fact, before thinking I was going to write about this, I'd read some rapper article in Rolling Stone, and I went for a run one day, and I thought, "What is the craziest rapper name I can come up with by the end of the run?" And and there it was. It was nasty boy with his dollar sign in his name, and both words ending in an I. And, and when I had that, I thought, "Who is that rapper?" And I think that kind of I went off in pursuit of that character. But here you have uh, a character, as, as we said, disgustingly wealthy, doesn't even know what to do mm. with his money. But you've then provided a contrast with the journalist and his daughter, Ariel. Yes. And so what I was thinking there was I, I thought, I've got this idea of interviewing the rapper. There's more going on with the rapper than I'll find at first. So what's going on beneath the surface there? And then I thought... What has the journalist brought to this? What's going on in the journalist's life as well? And I thought back to, I thought maybe there's some family thing going on there too. And I look back to my most recent trip to New York. And one of the things I did there was write a travel article on New York with an under five. My son was nearly four at the time. And when we got to New York, biggest thing in his life at the time was superheroes. He was obsessed with them. And I've now realized looking at all the photos we've taken in New York is in different superhero t-shirts. And then he saw the Empire State Building for the first time. And I can remember the look on his face when he realized it was real. And if it was real, then surely Spider-Man, Iron Man, Batman, um, Superman, they were real too. And so this was his experience of New York. And I found a photo of him coming down the granite slide in Central Park with his arms out in front, superhero style. And I thought, it's something to do with that. And then I thought, why does my central character's son or daughter need to be a superhero? And when I got the answer to that, I thought, now I've got something to write. And now I've got something that is that is this size and this scale. It's not the short story of the rapper interview. It's not the short story of the family. It's the two things together. And this is what makes for the novella, this mm -hmm. juxtaposition. Exactly. Because in a short story, you're looking at one central character yes. generally, now you've got another and it's that juxtaposition which you've got time to develop. Yes, exactly. Which allows us to explore or mull over ideas, issues and the concerns. And so this in some ways was a thread I started to follow as I was reading some of the other stories. You've got Venice and it's Ryan who's that mm -hmm. uh, been in a fly-flow, fly-in, yes. fly-out situation but is now almost a domestic, shall yes. we say. And, and the contrasts there that are occurring? Yes. So Ryan is back in Brisbane having had a career in the mining industry, living in the granny flat other, under his sister's house. And, and again, I had two ideas for that. One was uh, one was triggered by me going to Coles and trying to buy a tub of Maggie beer, burnt fig, caramel and honeycomb ice cream, which is one of the best in the world, I think. Uh, I received nothing for that, and, uh, and, but they didn't have it, and they were not stocking it again. And so I had this kind of difficult moment in Coles where I had to come to terms with the fact that the ice cream I really wanted wasn't there. And so I, you know, went home and, because it's the 21st century, tweeted about it and got a tweet back from Coles pretty much telling me I was the only person buying it in that store and that's why it wasn't there anymore. And I, so I just have to accept that. Um, but then I thought, 
it'd be interesting to give that moment to someone else, someone who had more at stake with the ice cream, someone who someone who needed to get away from something and just needed something nice to happen in their grim day and went to buy this ice cream and a cheap spoon with it and sit down to eat it and couldn't get the ice cream. And so I came up with the idea of someone who had who had lost his job and was in this challenging environment and just trying to find his way through it. And at the same sort of time, a friend of mine, Terry Widborn, who's an artist, we've written some children's books together, he embarked on an art project where he had to collaborate with someone else and the theme of the of the exhibition was the number four. And they decided to do something around the four horsemen of the apocalypse and then actually make the four horses of the apocalypse. So Terry told me about this bizarre journey he'd made into the Sunshine Coast hinterland to pick up four horses' heads and have them boiled down so that he could he could create artwork with the skulls. And I thought, I'm bringing that into this story. And my central character, his sister is an artist. He's there. He's running these errands and one of them is to go off and pick up horses' heads but at the same time, there's his four-year-old nephew, and here's his way back. Mm. What interested me then, I, I was thinking as I uh, then read too, maybe the connection here is values children, because mm-hmm. children featured in both those short stories. And I'm thinking, is this what Nick is on about, etc., and exploring uh, that juxtaposition there. But then uh, Vancouver and Juno uh, sort of look at, almost completely different things. Giants in Vancouver and a father figure in uh, Juno. Yes, so what I, and I think if you, if you kind of contrast uh, Venice and Juno, where you've got in Venice you've got a 32-year-old central character connecting with a four-year-old and then in Juno you've got a 50-year-old central character and his 77-year-old father. So there's that relationship there that's important to it. And and what I wanted was, I mean, with this being a series of individual works, I had the freedom to explore these things in a in a very broad way. And what I was looking at, I guess, across all of them thematically was, was what we value, what's important to us. And there's fame in there and what it can do and there's wealth and what it can do and the loss of wealth and what that can do but I also realized that the connections with people are things that are really important to a lot of us and so I realized that this was something that my characters were going to be given opportunities to work out each in quite distinctive ways and when I first started talking to Donna I had I had those ideas in mind without realizing how much children were going to appear and how big a part of the connections they were going to be. And Donna suggested the idea of bringing in connections at another level between the stories, concrete links between them so that there are there are characters who reappear and things like that. And, and when we first talked about that, I thought, I'm going to give that some thought because I want to make this whatever it can be. But I need it not to be cheesy. There's a real risk that that could go wrong. And I thought, I'm not writing The Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants, where every book is another another person wearing the pants and going on holiday. And, uh, and you know, I'm not criticising that model at all. It's just not what I wanted to do. So I thought, is there a way, are there ways of linking these novellas with each other in ways that people won't anticipate? And that will be surprises, small and sometimes larger, and just and that might reveal something fresh about something they've seen before. I've just realised, and my apologies for being so slow. In NoHo, there's artwork. Yes. And um, in uh, Venice, artwork, and they're similar. If yes, and if people look closely, 
Don't spoil it. Don't yeah. spoil it. <laughs> don't, don't. Well, you, you've, you've got to yes. find it for yourself. So we don't want to give too much away to the reader or listener. But, yes, those connections that come through. I mean, in many ways, it's the the values and the issues that mm-hmm. connect for me. Yes. Uh, and there were a range of them. We've already um, sort of mentioned children. The sorts of uh, internal conflicts mm-hmm. individuals have trying to uh, make a living but the values of the people around them are almost pre- preventing that yes. is that too far to go by saying preventing? no i think that's fair yes yes and also um struggling to find relevance find a place all of those sorts of things are there well is there a broader comment there then about society uh that we live in today mm. and Finding a place and the values of the world around us. I, I think so, and I and I wanted to, I wanted that to be there for people to find by offering these five characters and their slightly intertwined lives and each of their journeys, and and I think this is one of the things that an individual novella can do, but a novella series has even more scope to do, where if you connect with the details the right way and deliver those characters then there are implications far beyond that and mm. uh, and and that's and what you've been talking about is exactly the kind of thing that i that i hope people are that i hope is crossing people's minds and it's it's one of the things i love about reading is that something that's really well written doesn't fill in all the blanks well that's part of the challenge of reading yeah. that you fill in for yourselves. I mean, you start identifying or placing yourself in the position of the narrator or mm. whoever it is. And I can identify with some of these stories just off air before we went on. NoHo, which is about auditioning in yeah. uh, Los Angeles, and the values there are absolutely appalling in terms of what uh, parents are putting their children mm-hmm. through and what those that are auditioning put children through. But um, yes, I must confess to having a, a showreel of my own mm-hmm. um, that I had to sort of plan to throw out uh, now that I'm, uh, I, I no longer get the romantic leads I find in, in shows. So, but you, uh, you know, there are great character parts out there. <laughs> indeed. Don't ditch that showreel just yet. <laughs> just because it's VHS, it just, you just need to flip it to an MP4 file or whatever and you're still in the game. Uh, Thank you very much. I, I will live with that hope in mind <laughs> because this is what happens in NoHo. Yeah. The, uh, but it's children. It's children, which is a really interesting bit of that to look at because it's – and I'd seen some documentaries and a range of other things about child actors in Hollywood and then once I started thinking about this, I went and found far more of them. And uh, the – so Cassidy, who is 12, is the girl who from Australia who is there with her mother and brother, and she's trying to make it as an actor in Hollywood. But we get the story from her brother Charlie's point of view, and he's 11. I made a deliberate choice not to have an adult narrator for that story because I thought if I have an adult narrator, that narrator will will feel obliged to judge what's going on. And what I want to do is get it from this naive narrator. He's smart, but he's not worldly, and and the reader can judge. And so here's what's going on, and you can make up your own mind about that. But the people running uh, these auditions are saying to 12-year-olds, have yeah. you decided to do anything about your nose? And all of a sudden that whole uh, shame yes. or uh, fear about appearance and looks, and 
parents are actually encouraging their kids they, to do so that. So this is it, and this is what's this is what really kind of brings that into stark relief is that as if this isn't already a problem for twelve year olds just in the suburbs of our cities. Yeah. It's it's already an issue, and parents are there to help with that. Whereas in this case, the it's as though there's so much more at stake with that. And the parents are not necessarily the allies of good body images in that situation. See, I found Gotham and NoHo almost uh, extreme in the attitudes yeah. of Nasty Boy and, yeah. and that uh, acting industry, but at the same time, believable. Yeah. And, and they felt like the right kind of bookends for this. So uh, Gotham felt like a, a great one to lead with. And then NoHo really felt like one to finish on. We get a different narrator, a different voice, that younger voice, and it's taken us to a different place and uh, and revealed this and given us a different look at the world. Now, the overall title, Wisdom Tree, actually comes from NoHo. It does. And could you explain that? Yes, I can. So Charlie is staying at the with his mother and sister at the Oakwood, a, a big apartment hotel complex that, uh, that houses a lot of child actors and a lot of cast of TV shows. It's a real place. And the Oakwood seems to handle things as decently as things can be handled uh, in that environment. Um, but behind it, there is the hill that leads up to the Hollywood sign. So there are there are a few hills there, and on one of them, and the top of one of them is a single tree, which is known as the Wisdom Tree. So he hikes the Wisdom Tree Trail, and um, there's a geocache box there that people have put things in. And it was interesting discovering what people have actually put in there. A lot of it is, of course, business cards from people who hope to get lucky. Uh, there are so the script writers and all kinds of people left. I just think it's so Hollywood. Um, but um, but the, the Wisdom Tree notion, it ended up as the title because... You know, there are wisdom trees in various cultures around the world. And, uh, you know, you pause under the tree, you contemplate, and you collect your thoughts there. And I think that's what these characters each need to do. They're each kind of seeking and hopefully getting some kind of fresh wisdom that'll take them forward. Well, in, in some instances, it's not the characters, but the reader yes. that needs to pause and yeah. think about what is actually being revealed here. Mm. But. All through this interview, you've been talking about uh, your child and what you've seen and done. How much are these stories based on your own personal experience? In the end, um, each of the stories is is a work of fiction, but I've been to most of the places there, and that that helped me create the environment for them. And I, I guess some of them connect thematically with things that I've had to think through myself in the past few years. Uh, but for me, that's what I really like about creating fiction is that I want something to feel as though when people have read it, as though it necessarily existed in the real world. Uh, it needs to feel true, uh, but I need to have the freedom to draw on things that feel true to me and create things that feel true and put them all together to make this new thing that hasn't existed before. So I have been to New York. I've been there quite a few times. I have waited outside Bloomingdale's while my partner went inside to buy something. Uh, I haven't interviewed a rapper in New York. I haven't driven around in a van like that. I have been to that playground, of course, with a child, and there is that photo. So it's sort of those things, but I that's one of the things that makes me a writer of fiction, I think. I want it grounded in real life, but then I want the freedom to 
find the kind of new truth that I want to explore. But it's also it also has to be real mm-hmm. for the reader mm-hmm. to be able to identify yeah. with it. And I mean, in uh, Junot, looking after uh, an aged parent sort of thing, uh, a lot of people can identify with yes. that, uh, especially of my generation and such like. Seeing uh, what has happened in the music industry, I don't know if you'd actually call rap music. I've, I've always struggled with that one. So I'm coming to that sort of notion with a particular bent. Yeah. But you can see the vast wealth yes. these people have. And the inability to know in some ways how to use it wisely or effectively. or mm-hmm. um, That's it. And having led a, a life until that point in which there were very few people giving guidance about how to live a regular life. And so if you end up a teenager without having worked that out and then suddenly get the fame and the fortune, you've got no tools to deal with that. But what are you saying about society overall then? Uh, is society displaced uh, if we've got these extremes going on? Yeah, look, I'm saying uh, we are. We every day face the temptation to value things that are probably not the things we should really value uh, and that we face a life with many inputs and lots of stimuli and that it it's wise for us all occasionally to pause and take a deep breath and to think, what really matters to me? Well, you can do that by sitting under a tree mm-hmm. and picking up uh, a copy of any of the mm-hmm. five novellas that have been released by Inkerman and Blunt and pausing for a couple of hours while you read and contemplate in a more relaxed manner. Nick, thank you very much for coming in today. I should also thank Donna. Uh Wisdom Tree, and there are five titles, Gotham, Venice, Vancouver, Juno and Noho, and the publisher is Inkerman and Blunt. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.